0: Hello and welcome to another week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, and it's brought to you by your local community radio station. I'm Sarah McKenzie. On today's program, we'll chat with Zoe Angus from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance about the union's national campaign, which sees performers, producers, writers, directors and crew joining forces to campaign for the future of the screen industry and calling on commitment from government to keep Australian stories on our screens. But first, some union news. The Australian Building and Construction Commission, ABCC boss Nigel Hadkiss has resigned after he admitted to spending two years breaking the laws in pursuit of the anti-worker ideological agenda, whilst he was being paid over $420,000 a year. The ABCC boss has admitted to breaching Section 503 of the Fair Work Act over a two-year period by recklessly misrepresenting the rights of union officials. Section 503 of the Fair Work Act says that a person must not take action with the intention of giving the impression that they are doing a thing that is authorised when it is not. Hadjkis admitted to a contravention of Section 503 of the Fair Work Act in relation to the ABCC's publication of incorrect information about right-of-entry rules. Under current right-of-entry rules in the Fair Work Act, there's a provision that lunch rooms are to be the default location for union officials to conduct meetings with workers, should the employer and the union official not agree on a suitable location – These laws are important because workers could be intimidated by being forced to hold discussions with their union representative in clear view of their employer. The current law has been in place since January 2014. So for over two years, from 2014 until the CFMEU complained to the ABCC in 2016, multiple ABCC publications on right of entry laws did not accurately describe this provision and incorrectly asserted that union officials had to comply with the employer's wishes on the location of meetings. While the ABCC had ensured the correct legal position was known internally to its own staff, it spread incorrect information to the public and across the industry. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus is calling this resignation a win for workers. She comments that Mr Hatchkiss obeyed the dictates of his political masters, Prime Minister Turnbull and Employment Minister Michaelia Cash through ongoing attacks against working people and in the end, he did not only step over the line, he set up camp there for two years. She then calls on the Turnbull government to take this opportunity to disband the ABCC and restore Australia to being a one law for all nation. CPSU workers in the Commonwealth's largest agency, the Department of Human Services, have voted 71% yes to a new enterprise agreement to end their more than three-year fight to protect critical workplace rights and conditions. It was the fourth time that the DHS staff across Medicare, Centrelink and Child Support had voted in the current round of bargaining, with 77% of eligible staff participating in the ballot. The CPSU did not oppose the new agreement. It stands in contrast to the rejection of previous agreement proposals, agreement proposals which sought to strip rights and conditions. CPSU National Secretary Nadine Flood said this yes vote is a significant turnaround from previous ballots. DHS management finally realized that retaining workplace rights and conditions was the key to settlement, and as a result, the CPSU did not oppose this agreement. The new agreement is better than those previously rejected, though it still falls short of what the hardworking staff in Centrelink, Medicare and Child Support deserve, particularly given there's no compensation for more than four years without a pay rise. This dispute has lasted more than three years, as workers fought against the Turnbull government's anti-worker agenda. It's the fourth time DHF staff have voted on this agreement, and throughout the bargaining, staff had also had to deal with the impact from thousands of permanent jobs that have been slashed, and of course, that ongoing impact of the robo-debt mess. The dispute included industrial action in the form of rolling strikes earlier this year. CPSU members in other Commonwealth agencies are yet to resolve their bargaining. This includes workers in the Bureau of Meteorology, the Federal Courts, Immigration, and Border Force. Sydney University workers in the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU, took strike action on the 18th of September in a sea of purple. They've been in negotiations for a new agreement since February. They voted to take industrial action to push progress on the issues of salary, job security, rights for casuals and teaching focused roles. The NTEU University of Sydney branch president, Kurt Iverson, said that the strike is about putting an end to discrimination against casually employed staff members in sick leave and superannuation, and for a salary offer that at least keeps up with inflation. Earlier this month was Equal Pay Day, where we celebrate women and men having equal pay. The only problem with this day is that we know that equal pay doesn't currently exist in this country. Women earn nationally 15.3% less than men while they're at work. And then in retirement, a report released earlier this year by Per Capita and the Australian Services Union shows that women's superannuation balances at retirement are 47% lower than men's. As a result, women are far more likely to experience poverty in retirement and in their old age. The We Are Union Women team at the Victorian Trades Hall held a panel discussion last week in Victoria about how women are still being ripped off, how they are, why they are, and what we can do to take action. Jess Walsh, the Secretary of United Voice, was one of the panellists. Here's a snippet from the night.
1: When we're thinking about... Quality, we're thinking about people being able to put food on the table. Um, You know, people who are in sectors like early childhood education who are earning half the average wage, uh, who are structurally oppressed by the complete lack of valuation of their work, uh, and are located in a painful intersection of, you know, patriarchy and. The neoliberal approach to funding and resourcing uh, social services, and I think there's an interesting um, tension between the focus on on the the pay inequality issue about the sort of hundreds of thousands of low-paid workers in structural oppression, you know, who are women, and the ability of more professional women to maybe take these issues on themselves as individuals in workplaces, which is also important. But I think if we're if we're talking about solutions, locating the difference in those two problems is important because I think the solutions are, are are quite different. And I think that the solutions for our members, whether they're early childhood education uh, professionals or or whether they're cleaners and hospitality workers and, you know, people from different backgrounds who've come here to try and make a better life. At best, they're being paid the award. They may well be being paid in the current environment of wage theft and exploitation under the award. Um, And what those workers need to do is really get organised across their industry and fight like hell. Organising people to understand their circumstances and be willing, being able to see that taking some action may lead to, to change and having some wins and wanting to take more action. That process can take a really, really long time. Um, so when we started engaging more with early childhood educators, just for example, you know, several years ago, they were not walking off the job, (laughs) you know, and they were not standing up and fighting for equal pay. Um, And they weren't rallying and screaming on the streets. They were that they just weren't ready um, and couldn't see it um, and were focused on the love of the work and the kids. And, you know, and, and it was a process of organizing with professional organizers and 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 leaders in the sector you know reaching out to just like agitate it's like yeah you love your job yeah you love the kids but how are you going to pay your mortgage you know so i guess you know not to patronize anyone who's got challenges or struggles in bringing people together um, to take action but the only answer is that you know the only answer that there ever is is collective action and sometimes it can take a long time to to get there
0: If you want to hear more about the early childhood educators' action for fair pay, have a listen to last week's episode, Strike, Childcare Educators' Fight for Equal Pay, by Stick Together's Matt Kunkel on the Stick Together podcast.
2: You're listening to
0: Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. On September the 18th, performers, producers, writers, directors and crew joined forces to campaign for the future of the screen industry. They launched a campaign, Make It Australian, in major cities across Australia. On the program today, Zoe Angus, the Director of Equity at the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, joins us over the phone to speak about the campaign. Hi Zoe, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Sarah. Uh, So the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, uh, along with workers from the entertainment industry, have launched a campaign called Make It Australian, which, among other things, has a focus on content laws for Australian broadcasters. Zoe, can you just give a, a brief explanation of what the current laws around Australian content is for our screens and the limitations and threats to these at the moment?
2: Sure, I can. Um, so this is an important uh, campaign, um, the situation at the moment is there are rules around uh, Australian content requirements on screen. Uh, in short form, these rules, they're quotas basically, and they apply to the commercial networks. Um, so 7910, uh, also Pay TV has a slightly different set of rules. Uh, the ABC and SBS um, aren't covered by these quotas. They have a charter, so they have slightly different rules. But the, um, in terms of the commercial networks, um, In short form, the rules are that each commercial network has got to play a couple of hundred hours of Australian adult drama each year Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the same couple of hundred hours' worth of Australian children's general content um, plus 25 hours of kids' drama and about 20 hours of new Australian documentaries. Uh, Now, why this is important is... Uh, imagine the following scenario, right? It costs about uh, $1.3 million an hour to make Australian content, roughly speaking, on average. So you talk about your sort of short-form quality mini-series costs about $1.3 million an hour, but it costs about five to $10,000 an hour to import a pretty decent standard American or British drama. So... There is no commercial incentive for commercial networks to invest in Australian content, Australian stories, uh, without these quotas. These quotas, these content rules, actually drive production uh, in this country and there would, be no, uh, there would just be no commercial imperative, no, uh, no commercial incentive to actually make Australian stories without these content requirements. Okay. So they're the rules they're under threat uh, and this is a real concern at the moment the uh, screen industry in this country is in the spotlight there are two government um, reviews going on at the moment there's a parliamentary inquiry uh, and there's also um, a bigger government inquiry itself into australian screen content uh, and everything's up for grabs Uh, and the key concern that we have uh, is that all of the commercial networks uh, individually and also together as a block, have filed uh, submissions to both of these reviews calling for an abolition, a complete deregulation of these content requirements. Uh, And so what that would mean, their argument is, um, these content rules are overly onerous. Um, Now we've got all these uh, diversified uh, new players. Uh, Trust us, we'll play Australian stories. Um, And the reality is, so they want to remove the requirements. Uh, the reality is uh, if these content rules go, there will be no screen production sector in this country.
0: And what are the consequences to union members in that industry who, who will be directly affected by that?
2: So there's two key things here. There's the cultural argument about the importance of Australian stories. And, you know, and particularly for you know the next generation of our kids growing up Hearing Australian stories, Australian accents, having a sense of our own, developing our own diverse cultural identity—that's the cultural argument. There's also a very strong, important economic argument here, and that is there would be no production sector in this country without content regulation. Uh, so if you um, if you leave it up to the market, if you let the commercial networks um, uh, commission their own Australian content, there is no uh, there's no business case for it. There's no market case for it, so they won't do it, uh, and um, and there won't be the production sector will disappear in this country. And you only need to look at um, the United um, Kingdom mm-hmm. about 10 years ago deregulated its commercial networks for children's production, and within three years there was a 93% fall in production. So what would happen is uh, all of the production small businesses, uh, and in some instances slightly larger businesses, uh, and all of the jobs, uh, and we're talking here about, about actors, we're talking here about camera operators, about sound technicians, about post-production, uh, the whole, uh, a whole swathe of 25,000 25, full-time jobs there are in this industry as, a, as an estimate, uh, and uh, those jobs are in peril. If these content rules are removed,
0: twenty-five thousand full-time jobs, and is that
2: twenty-five thousand full-time jobs? Yep. Wow. So, up this industry.
0: What's the uh, What's the union's plan to win on this?
2: Well, I'm very pleased to say that for the first time in maybe thirty years, we have a united production sector. Uh, so uh, this week we launched Make It Australian, and um, and all around the country, more than a 1,000 people have registered and uh, turned out for our national launches. We've got meetings in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, uh, Hobart, all around the country, uh, and um and at those meetings, we are—it's a whole industry gathering. So it's actors, it's crew, it's directors, it's writers, it's producers—all speaking with one voice. Uh, we are preparing a um, a visual petition with the faces of the industry uh, assembled in a collage, which we will deliver to Canberra. So the powerful message um, is that it is the whole production sector standing together. And really the battle line's drawn, frankly, between the commercial networks on the one hand and all of the production sector united on the other hand. And the only way we will win this is precisely the sheer weight of our numbers standing together in a united united way and sending that um, single message to Canberra that the, these reviews must form a view uh, which is about respecting... The industry and 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 uh, getting the policy settings right to, una- to ensure that the production sector survives and Australian stories continue to be told.
0: That was Zoe Angus from the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, the MEAA. To show your support or learn more about this campaign, you can go to www.makeitaustralian.com. You're listening to Stick Together, I'm Sarah McKenzie.
1: Stick
2: Stick together. together.
1: Stick together. Together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together.
0: Stick together. Stick together.
2: Stick together. You're listening to Stick
3: Together on Community Radio.
0: The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is a national volunteer run union which is dedicated to protecting the rights of unemployed workers in Australia, workers who are constantly under attack from the Turnbull government. Current right-wing governments and media like to paint unemployed people dependent on Centrelink as job snobs and dole bludgers. We know this is not true. We know that the problem is not with the people, but with the system. There is much anecdotal evidence of a serious issue with Centrelink and private job networks, but to know exactly what we're dealing with, we need stories. Owen Bennett, President of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, speaks a bit about this with us today.
3: The Unemployed Workers Union is mostly dealing with um, people um, attending job agencies and we try to assist people with their um, appointments and inform them about their rights. And what we're finding is that the vast majority of people are, are being either abused by their job agency or they're not being offered the services that the job agencies are required to offer by law. Um, So what we're trying to to do is collect those stories of people being abused or not being offered those correct services and then compile them into a report that we're planning to release next year and then go around to government, go around to politicians and expose this broken system.
0: Okay. um, And is this open for people all across Australia? And and if so, how do they um, share their stories with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union?
3: It is open to, to everyone, all unemployed workers, everyone dealing with a, with a private job agency. Um, we want to hear your stories about how your job agency is behaving. And the important thing to understand is what your rights are because job agencies get away with abuse. They get away with not providing correct services because the vast majority of people don't know what their rights are. So you don't know that you're not being offered the correct service or being abused if you don't know what job agencies are supposed to offer or what your rights are so that's why calling the hotline that the unemployed workers union runs is so important because you can tell us about your experiences and we we can listen to that and we say well you haven't been offered the correct services in this and this and this way you've been abused in these ways
0: so um can you just speak to what you think the most important rights that people who are on new start or going to private job agencies should be aware of
3: Sure. Well, I think the most urgent issue going on at job agencies is is the abuse. I mean, that's, that's the, the most pressing concern we have. Um, in the last financial year, there were 2.1 million penalties imposed on unemployed workers at job agencies, which is an increase from 300,000 in 2011. There's been a huge crisis of penalties going on at job agencies, and because of this huge spike in penalties... The, the job agencies and Centrelink aren't doing their job when it comes to make, processing these penalties correctly and making sure people are given the opportunity to tell the job agency or Centrelink about their side of the story. So that's the most important right people have. Um, in in my mind, that's being broken systematically, which is just if you get penalized by a job agency, you're meant to be given the opportunity to tell your job agency what your side of the story is before they actually... Carry through with that penalty. So I'll give you an example.
1: Mm-hmm. If you
3: had an appointment with your job agency, which everyone is required to attend, um, generally once a month, but this is one of the problems. Job agency try to force people to attend more often, sometimes even several times a week, which is which is a, a breach of the contract and people's rights. But let's say you had an appointment, and then you, you, you weren't able to attend due to a reason out of your control. You had a family issue. Um, and you weren't able to contact the job agency in advance to let them know you couldn't attend, um, what the job agency is meant to do, they're meant to contact you on that day, they're meant to call you up on that day if they can, and make contact with you, ask you if they if you have a, what's called a reasonable excuse for not attending that appointment. And then they take that information on board and they say, okay, well, you've had a family crisis, that's a reasonable excuse, um, we'll book you another appointment for... Um, you know, at a time that's convenient. What's happening on the ground is that job agencies don't make that call. They don't give unemployed workers a chance to inform the job agency of their reasonable excuse. What happens is job agencies send unemployed people a text five minutes before they close saying, please contact us, you haven't attended the appointment, which is a breach of Social Security law because the job agencies are the ones who are meant to be contacting the unemployed person. We just um, encourage people to visit our website. Um, all, the, all the details for advocacy services are on our website. You can you can email us your, your stories. You can call up and have a chat with one of our our volunteers who work the phones every day from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Just link up with other people and share your experiences because there's there's about 800, people dealing with these job agencies at any given time. We need to start sharing our experiences and learning from each other so we can better defend ourselves against these job agencies who are completely out of control. I mean, it's it's an it's a $11 billion system, and most of that money is just being put away into the coffers of these job agencies. It's a, it's a huge rot that actually they're being paid to abuse unemployed workers. That, that's essentially what it comes down to.
0: That was Owen Bennett from the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. You can visit the union's website at www.unemployedworkersunion.com to arm yourself with your rights as an unemployed worker and to tell your stories about experiences with job agencies and feed into the union's report. You can also call the Unemployed Workers line on 03-8394-5266 Monday to Friday, 10am to 2pm. A quick announcement before we end the show – for listeners in the North, the Brisbane Pride March will take place on the 23rd of September, commencing at 10 o'clock a.m. in Brunswick Street between Anne Street and McLaren Street, and we'll see thousands of members of the LGBTIQ community gather to hear leaders speak about important issues facing this community. And that's it for Stick Together Today. Thanks for listening. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and it's broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. Podcasts for this show can be found at 3cr.org.au slash together And if you'd like to get in contact with the producers of this show, you can give us a call on 03 9419 8377 or you can email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com and remember wherever you are whatever you do there is a union for you my name's sarah mckenzie and until next time stick together